Back to throw Petrus. Throws back to Laporta with blockers out in front. He's inside the 20, inside the 10. Laporta to the end zone. Touchdown, Hawkeyes. They have the lead. Hello and welcome back to the Dynasty Zoltan podcast. We are back today for another prospect preview. Today talking about Sam Laporta. And I'm thrilled today to be joined by a guy I've been talking to a long time via Twitter, meeting for the first time face-to-face today, David Gaudieri. Great to have you on the pod. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, I love how you start the show with a Laporta highlight. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very unique way. Yeah, I've found that it really gets gets the juices flowing, gets both of us in the mood. Uh, definitely for some of, the, uh, some of the guys that are harder to get pumped up about, it uh, gets you in the right mindset. But I, I don't think we'll have any trouble getting you pumped about Laporta the, uh, today. No, we have zero issues with that. Yeah, so uh, pumped to talk about him. We're going to go in depth for those that have listened to prospect previews before. This is going to be similar. Go over some of his background, strengths and weaknesses, uh, some of his NFL player comps, and then, of course, uh, finish with some value talk and where we take him in a rookie draft. Uh, Before we get started, though, do you want to tell everyone where they can find your work? Yeah, mostly on Twitter is going to be I post a lot of my stuff on Twitter at Guru Fantasy World, W-R-L-D. Uh, you can follow me there. If you want to get access to some more of my uh, behind-the-scenes content, you can follow me uh, on Patreon. have a couple different tiers, but uh, the basics package is going to include my top 250 rankings. It's going to have a buy-sell-hold tag for each player, uh, a player note as well, recommended moves to make with, with each player. It's going to include my tight end anatomical checklist, which is just a bunch of different uh, important metrics, basically uh, all color-coded and basically uh, lined up according to my own rankings. So you can just see how each tight end compares uh, to the rest uh, when you stack them up together. And then obviously we have a a Discord tier, which is great as well. If you want to join our Discord, uh, we have a couple different analysts as well working in there, not just me. We have Akash and Nelly. Uh, Shout out to them too. Those guys are great. So if you want to ever uh, ask them any questions, uh, you can join our, our discord uh, tier so uh, i would definitely recommend the patreon i try to keep the entry fees about as low as i possibly can so that way uh, i'm not really restricting anyone uh, you know i'm not trying to you know make it difficult for, for you to enter uh, so you can definitely get access to some of these tools i also have uh, a trade manifesto which is included pinned to the top of the patreon so it's just going to be a bunch of different tools to kind of help you navigate uh, the dynasty landscape yeah, absolutely. And definitely make sure to check that out. I, I had a Kosh on uh, the other day for my Zay Flowers prospect preview, which uh, either has come out or will come out shortly, depending when you're listening to this one. Uh, so definitely check that out as well. Um, before we get too much into Sam Laporta, I, I've been loving these prospect previews having, you know, 20 different analysts on so far uh, because I get very different perspectives. So how do you go about looking at scouting rookies? Are you more of the film mindset or the analytical mindset or a mix of both? How do you like to view these things? I would say I'm probably about 90% uh, going to be analytics on paper. I'm looking at the stats and then probably about 10%. Uh, just I don't I don't lean on film much, but I do do like to throw on, you know, sometimes the YouTube highlights and just see see what a guy looks like, see how he moves. Um, just kind of get the basic kind of uh, eye test, you know, nothing crazy. I'm really relying on the numbers, bottom line. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the tight end is a good position to rely on the numbers, not 
not necessarily as much from a production standpoint as some other positions, but certainly from an athletic testing standpoint, the correlation between athletic testing and tight end success in the NFL is absolutely massive. And I have some numbers on that I'll be uh, uh, mentioning and sprinkling throughout the pod later on as well. Um, but without further ado, let's get into Sam Laporta um, and a little bit of his history. Um, of course, he is the tight end from Iowa. Uh, Laporta measured in at the combine at 6'3", 245. So he's a pretty small tight end uh, on the relative scale. Uh, average is about 6'6", 255, 260 for the receiving tight end. Um, but of course, he goes to Iowa. So he gets that massive bump. We know Iowa has been the tight end factory. You know, George Kittle, Noah Fant, TJ Hawkinson. Um, and Sam Laporta is really just the next guy in that realm. Only a three-star recruit coming out of Illinois. Um, but Iowa's done a great job of transforming these, you know, less heralded players into uh, superstars at the college level and uh, potentially the NFL level. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what Laporta's kind of production profile has been so far in college? You know, before we before we dive fully into Laporta, yeah, please. I, I want to stay on the process talk first because mm -hmm. before we talk about what we do like about Laporta, what we don't like about Laporta, we got to talk about what we do and don't like about tight ends and yeah. what we're actually looking for and why we're looking for it. So basically when I talk about this tight end checklist, I'm charting it, color, excuse me, and then color coding it uh, according to basically the percentiles. Um, so we want to look at first, we want to look at height and weight. We want to look at the absolute basics. Is this player shorter than uh, the average tight end? Is he heavier than the average tight end? Is he lighter than the average tight end? Um, typically, we once we get into like 6'2 or like 6'7 on the other end, that starts to get a little bit on the outlier range where it's like, all right, now it's starting to become a concern. Uh, with weight, you tend to find about 260 pounds. Anything above 260, you don't really see uh, a ton of guys at that weight or anything below 220. Uh, you don't usually see these guys actually. Those are like uh, transition tight ends who don't usually make it. So that can be a concern if they're not carrying enough weight. Yeah. Uh, then next, obviously, we want to look at draft capital. And uh, Drew O, also known as uh, DF Bean Counter, as a lot of you guys know him on Twitter, uh, he put out a great thread on draft capital and how it correlates to tight end production. This was, he put it out. I think probably two years ago, this was before Kyle Pitts got drafted and he was talking about, he was low on Kyle Pitts and a lot of people were using draft capital saying it doesn't matter for tight ends. And he was saying, that's not why I'm not high on Kyle Pitts or I don't want to draft Kyle Pitts. And he basically broke it down of all the tight ends in his database. And it looks like he's using 2003 through 2018. So we have about 15 years worth of data here. And I'm just going to start at the top round seven, and we're going to go down and just look at the hit rates real quick. So these are, he's charting top 12 uh, seasons, I believe, in points per game, and then top five finishes as well. So round seven, zero out of 26 tight ends, 0%, no top 12 finishes in that sample. So that's not good, obviously, round seven. <laughs> round six, four out of 23, that's 17% in the top 12. We had one guy had a top five finish that was Darren Waller round six. Um, and he, he fell because of drug issues in the draft. So obviously round six, not great. 17% uh, finished top 12. Round five, four out of 25. So it's a little better, 16%. Uh, 
had at least one top 12 finish. It's still not good. Uh, we had three of those out of 25 had a top five finish. Kittle, Barnage, and Brent Selleck. Uh, so basically Kittle. Uh, round four, seven out of 32, so 21%. Still getting a little bit better. Uh, had a top 12 finish. Three of them out of 32 had a top five finish. Round three, getting a little better. 10 out of 35, that's 28% hit rate for a top 12 season. Uh, and then we had seven of those guys had a top five finish. Round two, now we're starting to get better here. 12 out of 28, which is 42.8%, had at least one top 12 finish. And it looks like four of them had a top five finish. And then round one, 15 out of 16 had a top 12 finish. One, two, three, four, five, six. looks like eight of them. Eight out of 16 had a top, so a coin flip chance of having a top five finish just by being drafted in the first round. Yeah. So draft capital is absolutely huge, and that's something we want to track for Laporta. He's projected to be a high to mid second round pick. He could sneak into the end of the first. I would say he's probably going to uh, land in that second round range, which gives him about just slightly over a 40% chance at producing at least one top 12 season and about a 15 to 20% chance of producing a top five season just on draft capital. Um, so after that, that's uh, the main one we want to look at. Draft capital is going to tell us a lot. Yeah. Uh, we and, can also. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and just to step in and add to that for a second, I don't know if you're going to get into some of the athleticism, but I did a very, uh, a similar analysis uh, earlier this off season where I looked at how um, athleticism was important in looking at tight ends. And basically there have only been two tight ends, sorry, three tight ends with top 12 finishes in the last eight years that have had a relative athletic score below eight. And only two tight ends being Mark Andrews and Zach Ertz have had a top five finish with a relative athletic score below eight. And both of those guys are in the seven range. So again, that's basically a discriminating factor. You need to be an athlete and you need to be drafted in the top two rounds if you want your hit rate to be anywhere close to the hit rate of a normal draft pick, which for the first round is about 50-50, for the second round is about 30%, depending on what metrics you're using. So you really need an, an athlete who's being drafted high. And, and sorry to cut you off, you can continue with some of the other metrics you're looking at. Nope, um, and for the people who can't see, I'm just nodding my head along here in yeah. agreement the whole time you're talking here, because uh, it absolutely does matter. And you can use RAS. Uh, I like to look at raw 40. Yep. Um, so we're looking at the, so if you look at the current top 12 value tight ends in dynasty, we have Pitts, Andrews, Kelsey, Hawkinson, Kittle, Goddard, Fryermuth, Darren Waller, Njoku, Dolchich, Ingram, and then Dalton Schultz's value tight end 12. The only one out of that group who ran slower than a four, seven, zero is Dalton Schultz. And he was at the very end of the top 12 at 12. And I think a lot of us would agree. He's kind of just a guy who, kind of slipped in there based on being in a perfect situation. So that athleticism absolutely matters. Uh, we want that, especially for the higher end guys as well. Like we want guys who can move like wide receivers and be uh, getting wide receiver type usage. So that's a, a huge thing. Um, before I get into like the athleticism, another thing I look at is just kind of early declare because it does, even at tight end, it does matter. So these are stats from, I believe, 
the this past 10 years. These are from Sharp Football. So this is, I think, 2010 to 2020. So early declares um, versus non-early declares. The full sample is 146 tight ends. We have 44 were early declare, 102 non-early declares. So for tight end two seasons, 36% of the early declares put up a tight end two season, 24% of the non-early declares. So that's about a 12% advantage for tight end two seasons. For tight end one seasons, the early declares put up 24.45% of them put up a tight end one season. For the non-early declares, only 12.75% put up a tight end one season. And then top six, 16% of the early declares put up a top six season. 6.86% of the non-early declares put up a top six season. So that's just another basic thing. Uh, if they're an early declare, that's that's good. We we want players ideally to check that box. Yeah. Um, if they don't, it's not the end of the world. Uh, it, it's just one data point in, in the grand scheme of things. Absolutely. And the way I would class, I mean, tight ends typically declare early less than they do at other positions. It's a position that there's a bit more of a learning curve, both in college and the NFL. So you tend to see production a little bit later. So things like an early early breakout age and dominator rating, while that's very important and can show a potential stud tight end, things like draft capital and athleticism tend to be more uh, correlative to success in the NFL. The one thing I want to add, because you did mention the top six tight ends, and I know we're uh, we're getting deep into some philosophy here of the position, but I think it's crucial, especially when talking about a guy like Laporta, is the top six tight ends is really what you want for a player. Because a guy in that 7 to 12 range is valuable. It's not that they're not. But if you really want the difference makers at the position, we're talking the Kelsey, the Kittle, the Waller. Um, those guys you really need to get these superb athletes with great production and tight end is where you can get the most value over replacement player. So I did an analysis looking back at the last 15 years in a half tight end premium league, the gap between the average of a top six tight end and an average of a number seven to 12 tight end. So the top half of tight end one compared to the bottom half of tight end one, that is over a five point gap. And that is larger than any other position. So for instance, at wide receiver, that's only a three point gap. So if you look at your average wide receiver four, they're scoring three more points than your average wide receiver nine. If you look at your tight end four, they're scoring 5.3 more points than your tight end nine. And that is a massive difference. You need to get one of these top tight ends other than really looking at the top running back, which is 4.7, remember tight end is 5.3, you're getting the most marginal value out of your tight end position if you have one of these true studs. So more than any other position, I am going for absolute upside at tight end. Yeah, definitely agree on that. Uh, We want difference makers at the end of the day, and that doesn't mean the other guys don't matter. Like, I I don't want to take that to the extreme. Like, for for example, uh, a lot of people, like we'll say Michael Meyer, He's got no ceiling. But again, you could probably say that about TJ Hawkinson and right. look at, you know, where he got to and where he's valued at right now. So I, I think it, it is absolutely important. Um, but I, I do think I would caution against being uh, an extreme in anything, in anything. I would caution against being an extremist. Very you know? true, yeah. Because uh, you can take anything to the extremes and um, – Sometimes you can kind of miss the point if, if you're dealing in black and whites when a lot of, a lot of it's gray. There's a lot of gray area in what, in what we're going to talk about, no matter what we're talking about, especially in fantasy football, where it's people buck profiles. Guys with bad profiles sometimes are good, and sometimes guys with good profiles are bad. 
Um, so there's a lot of different gray area and, uh, it's just important to remember that. Uh, yeah. That's, and that's and, and you can about. see that even with values at the tight end position, like the top four tight ends are going in the top 55 picks. And then it takes you to the middle of round 10 to get to the 10th tight end. So it is not that, that that's below a first round pick value. So, uh, and I'm talking about in startup drafts. So you're really not having to pay a lot to get your Darren Wallers, your David Njoku, your Evan Ingram, even your Pat Fryermuth, you can get for less than a first in some places. But if you really want to get that elite game changer, that extra five points of value over replacement, talking about your Kelsey's and Andrews, it, it's going to cost a lot, which is why, you know, some people say don't take tight ends in rookie drafts because they're cheaper after the first year. We'll get into that a little bit more, whether we agree with that methodology. Um, there is some merit to it. However, you might miss out on these big hits that you really need to pay up for at the beginning, and it's going to be way cheaper than it'll ultimately be. Um, so with all of that uh, kind of uh, methodology discussion, let's get into talking about Sam Laporta specifically. Um First of all, let's start off with some of his basic numbers. Uh, as with most tight ends, Laporta had a pretty slow start, uh, but did at least play in his first few seasons. Uh, his sophomore season in particular, that was the COVID-shortened season, but he did have 27 catches in eight games. Not bad for a sophomore tight end. And then he really broke out as a junior and senior, um, putting up at least 50 catches and 650 yards in each of those two seasons. Um, and really came away as one of Iowa's best offensive players, uh, other than probably their center in 2021. So Laporta did come on strong. Um, when you take a look at Laporta's numbers or film, what do you take away as some of the strengths in his game? Yeah, um, I just want to talk about one last thing, and that would be dominator rating as yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, that's the last thing. That's how I'm going to measure. You can do it in market shares. Those are important as well. You can do... Um, yards per route run is a helpful way of the efficiency as well. And and, and dominator rating, because some people are uh, kind of overwhelmed by that phrase. It, it's a good branding on the phrase. It sounds pretty cool. C could you just explain a little bit like what that is for some people? Yeah, it's very simple. So it's a player's percentage share of his team's receiving yards plus his percentage share of his team's receiving touchdowns divided by two. So if he has 20% of the yards, 30% of the touchdowns, he's got a 25% dominator rating. Exactly. Um, so, so the reason that's a good stat is because some teams, especially in college, there's a wide variety between how many yards a team might throw for, how many touchdowns a team might throw for. So when you look at dominator rating, it's essentially their share of the total production of their team's offense. And, and yep. typically it's it can be tough to do, but typically it's in games that they're healthy, games they played in, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when we look at the current top 12, again, dominator ratings, Pitts, Andrews, Kelsey, Hawkinson, Kittle, Goddard, Fryermuth, Waller, Njoku, Dolchich, Ingram, Dalton Schultz, 11 out of 12 or 18% above. The only one who wasn't is Dalton Schultz, who was at 11.4%. And then the only one who wasn't above 20% out of the rest of that was Mark Andrews, but he played with both CeeDee Lamb and Marquise Brown, and then he declared after his third season. Yeah, and we know that Dalton Schultz is a fake tight end one, and you mentioned why that Mark Andrews number. So basically, you need to look for that 20% dominated rating if you want to look for a top 12 NFL tight end. 
Yeah, it's certainly, uh, I, that's where it starts becoming green, color-coded in the green is where we're, we're hitting 20%. So as far as Laporta, uh, his strengths and his weaknesses. So we have starting at the beginning, height, weight. He is a little bit sh on the short side. Um, and some people are going to nitpick that to the extreme. Uh, he's six foot three, but that's a tw about 25th percentile height, uh, which is why I definitely wouldn't write him off because of it. We're not talking about like a fifth percentile height. We're not talking about a 10th percentile. It's 25th percentile. It's not the end of the world. Um, and then 245 is completely fine for weight. That's about right in the middle. Not too light, not too heavy. He's going to be just fine there. And and uh, you don't want a you don't want a player who is like two seventy because they're typically going to be slower. They're going to be an inline blocker. I got you. Actually, want a guy on the slightly slimmer slide, so they're going to be used kind of as a flanker or wide receiver, essentially. Yeah, that's he's basically saying don't draft Darnell Washington because yeah. he's going to be. And I, I endorse that as well. If you've listened to basically any podcast I've been on this off season, it's it's Darnell Washington's going to be a six tight end who's going to have. Um, probably not terrible per route metrics, but he's going to have a high pass block participation. He's not going to have a high route participation. Yeah. Um, and he just does not profile someone that's going to have volume. Sam Laporta, on the other hand, uh, he's not going to be a sixth offensive lineman, um, especially being 6'3". Like, he's a little bit more of a slot wide receiver type. Yeah. Um, so this is from Thor Nystrom pulled up these stats. Uh, last year, Laporta had 48.4% of his snaps in line 30.1 percent from the slot and then he played 20.5 percent of his snaps out wide um, so he was only in line about half of the time laporta the other half of the time he was being split into the slot and he was being yeah and and to compare that to some of the other tight ends in the class just to give a little bit of context there um the inline rate of 48 percent it's slightly, uh, it's higher than, so slightly worse than guys like Michael Mayer, who is at 40%, and Dalton Kincaid, that was at 35%. But if we look at the average of guys in college football last year who received at least 30 targets, he is right about in the 80th percentile in terms of his inline rate, meaning he's in line less than 80% of players, which is a good thing when looking at the tight end position. And like you mentioned, he lined up out wide, Again, watching the film, he lined up in kind of a three-by-one set as the ISO receiver a whole lot for Iowa um, running that solo route. It's it's a very good number to be out wide for 20% of his routes. And so he's not an early declare, so he doesn't have that box checks, but he has the athleticism. Uh, four, five, nine, 40, 35-inch vertical. He's, I would assume, Kincaid have a good 40, but I don't know about four, five, nine. He's Laporte is probably the fastest guy out of this top group. Out of any of them, he ran faster than Kraft, Washington. He ran faster than Musgrave, who people love for his speed. Uh, so Laporta has the speed in this class uh, for the tight end group. He had 35-inch vertical, so he showed up a lot of explosion in that drill as well. So uh, the athleticism, you see it on film. Um, just the way he was used, uh, he had... 10 of his 58 receptions were screens, uh, which is a lot of screens for a tight end. He had 20 forced missed tackles on 58 receptions last year, 
which was number one out of any tight end in college football in the FBS out of 131 teams. And again, this was uh, another staff pulled by Thor, which is a great pull. He, he did a great uh, rookie tight end article. Um, this was the fifth most of any tight end since PFF started tracking the stat in missed tackles for Sam Laporta. Um, so again, you, you mentioned like the school, we know Iowa, like that Kittle comp, that Kittle comp is, is legitimate. As you see a guy who's sub four, six, uh, sub six foot four, has like this tackle breaking ability. Uh, and then we talk about the dominator rating. Sam Laporta was at 25.5% dominator rating. Uh, so that's above 20%, which is very good. That's what we want. And you talk a little bit about, um, well, he, he took he had he was better in his junior and senior season. He led his team in receptions as a sophomore. Right. It was only twenty seven for two seventy one because Iowa was not a good offense. And even this past year, Iowa was one hundred twenty ninth out of one hundred thirty one teams in yards per game. So he was just quite literally in like the worst situation out of any of the tight ends in this class. Um, he led his team in receptions for three straight years, Sam Laporta, as a sophomore, as a junior, as a senior. He led this team in receptions. Um, so that is very good because it's not – we're not talking about a guy we had to wait until his uh, fourth season in college for him to actually start putting up production. He was doing this as a sophomore, leading his team, as a junior again, and then again as a senior. So that's very good that he's got a high dominator rating. He's got an early, you know, early breakout in his sophomore year. He's leading the team. Um, the, the yards per reception was a little low, uh, 12.6, which is not great. Um, he was not averaging a ton of yards per reception. Uh, but a lot of that, as I said, he was getting a lot of uh, screen passes. He, he's not being used in a deep role a lot. Not to say he couldn't do it, but a lot of the stuff they were doing with Sam Laporta was getting the ball in his hands on a low A dot. And, and just letting him go to work and letting Sam Laporta do what Sam Laporta does. And that's take the ball and then just run over people and make them miss and, and just gain yardage after the catch because that's what he does, um, which is good for a high-volume role, especially if we're talking about uh, like a premium format. Uh, in the NFL, he would be the guy who you could see getting, you know, 75 receptions, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Might not be at a crazy uh, high yards for reception, but you could see this guy being uh, – a very high volume role and being kind of a, a big slot, so to speak. Um, and and, and so touching think- a little more on, on kind of how Laporta succeeds and getting into the film a little bit to, to complement those numbers. Like, like David mentioned, Laporta's, you know, he's good at attacking the seam. He's good at getting downfield, but that's really not how Iowa used him a lot. Um, a lot of that just had to do with Iowa's scheme. They didn't like to throw the ball down the field. They have had an excellent defense and a good run game for the last few years, and that's really what they built their team upon. So Laporta was often used. First of all, he is excellent against zone. I found that he's got really soft hands. He's a really you know good-sized target um, for his quarterback. He's good at finding the holes in that zone, especially against the cover two. Um, his physicality, to me, could use a little bit of work, um, especially in his, both in his blocking, which I don't really care about, but also his route running. There were times where a linebacker was able to kind of knock him off his path um, or, and in a man-to-man route, he wasn't always good at, you know, establishing leverage and kind of getting that push off at the stem of his route to create separation. 
Um, that's definitely something he can work on in his game. But in general, Laporte is just a very solid tight end. He was mostly just running curl routes, out routes. A lot of screens, like you said, was about, you know, 15% of his targets were screens. Um, and more than that, Laporta, as you said, was just excellent after the catch. So he was in about the 70th percentile in terms of yards after catch per reception. But most of the guys above him had a far smaller sample size. Um, and Laporta was about average for average depth of target. So to be able to create yards after reception, to create a forced missed tackle on a third of his catches, like you said, is an excellent number. Um, and Laporta was really the number one weapon for Iowa. So I'm a big Michigan fan. I actually went and saw Laporta in person three separate times, including the Big Ten title game in 2011. And that was really Michigan's number one guy that they were trying to stop in the passing game um, was Laporta. They were putting that extra safety over the top on him. Um, so Laporta wasn't really able to get a ton of separation because oftentimes he was double covered. Um, just to provide a little bit more context into his game and why the numbers aren't necessarily prolific, you know, only 657 and 670 yards in his last two seasons. There's a lot of context uh, behind that. Um, the one thing I will say about Laporta that was a bit of a concern for me, and I don't know if you have numbers to reflect this as well, was that while he has solid hands and his drop rate and things like that were completely okay, he doesn't necessarily have the catch radius that I would love to see in a tight end. It's one reason why I felt attacking the seam. He wasn't super effective because like you said, six threes on a little bit, the smaller side, he's got 32 inch arms, which is a little bit on the smaller side. And while Laporta has very, very clean hands when it's an easy catch, there were times, especially when he was getting contacted and there was a little bit of a fight for the ball. His contested catch ability was not excellent. It was, it was fine. It was good. I would say it's about average for his level of prospect, but it doesn't separate him in the way that it might for a guy like Kincaid and Mayer, where that's really the strength of their games. Yeah, the Kincaid and Mayer are a little bigger. Player profiler has Laporta at a 78th percentile catch radius, uh, so his vertical also is factored into that. I yeah. You know, like I said, 35. So it's not, it's not a bad number, 78th percentile. Like you said, it's not his overwhelming strength. He's more of a guy who his strength is once the ball is actually in his hands. Um, that's that's the kind of guy he is more than a guy who's, uh, like I said, Kincaid, who might go out and win the jump ball a little bit more than, than the Laporta type. Um, but and then you kind of said talking about um, those raw numbers don't look as good for Sam Laporta. But when we're looking at the market shares, um, so these are two tweets by Scott Barrett. So since 2008, uh, best yardage market share seasons by a power five tight end. Sam Laporta was second at 34.4%. Michael Mayer was third. He had a 33.7% of his uh, yardage, team's yardage in 2022. Don Kincaid was 10th since 2008, which is really good too, 28.5. And then Laporta had another season his, where he was at 26.6%. So he had two top 15 seasons in yardage market shares since 2008. Sam Laporta. So that's really good. Um, then here's another one by Dwayne McFarland. Um, I'm sorry, I said two tweets, tweets by Scott at first. It's one by Scott, one by Dwayne. So this is yards per route run versus power five competition over the last two seasons for PFF. Number one, Brock Bowers, 2.55 versus power five competition. Number two, Kincaid, 2.29. 
Number three, Laporta, 2.20. Four, Dolchich, 2.14. Five, Michael Mayer, 2.13. So Laporta keeps showing up with Kincaid and Meyer in like all of these uh, important metrics. And he's arguably the best athlete of the three, uh, Sam Laporta. So, I, and then you look at, he's the cheapest of the yeah. three. So uh, this is why I wanted to talk about Sam Laporta because I'm going to have the most Sam Laporta out of any of these three tight ends. We talk about comps. If you want to kind of comp him to some NFL players, we talked about Kittle, yeah. uh, where Kittle was four. Uh, he's six, three, three and three quarters, 247. Laporta was six, three, 245. So Kittle's got three quarter inches on him and two pounds. Four, five, two for Kittle versus four, five, nine for Laporta. So I would say Laporta is somewhere between Kittle and maybe like Gerald Everett, who Gerald Everett ran a four, six, two was also a second round pick ever had a, you know, 37 and a half inch vertical. He was a good athlete. He had 31% dominator in college. Um, so Laporta, I can see being in, in Everett was second in force missed tackles uh, in the NFL for tight ends this year, behind only Travis Kelsey. So he's underrated after the catch as well. So I can see Laporta being maybe with Everett, like the mid range comp. And yep. if, if we're lucky, he turns into kind of like another Kittle who's just like a beast after the catch. Like, a guy who's just really good. Um, but I could see him being somewhere on that spectrum. Evan Ingram kind of like size wise, six, three and one eighth. Ingram's obviously faster. I would say more fluid than Laporta where Laporta is Agreed. A, a, a little bit more of a powerful guy than, you know, Ingram's a little twitchier. But I would say Everett and Kittle uh, somewhere on that spectrum is like a good NFL comp for Laporta. Yeah. And, and another comp that I've made is a guy who actually came out last year uh, is a Conquo. We saw how good a Conquo was at breaking tackles after the catch um, this past year. Uh, similar measurables, 6'3, 240. He ran a 4'5, with a 35.5 inch vertical. Uh, my statistical model actually has them as quite similar players, although, of course, Laporta did have a more prolific college career. Um, the other comp that I sometimes see is Dallas Goddard. Um, again, I think Goddard is a little bit of a bigger player. I think they're used similarly. You see Goddard being used a lot in the underneath game, a lot on screen plays, um, less so down the field and up the seam. I could see Laporta being used in a similar way to Goddard, but I think they win slightly differently. Goddard, as you said, uh, is a little bit more of a physical guy. Um, Laporte is kind of in between like a Goddard and an Evan Ingram, but I think he can be a very successful player. And as you mentioned, he is really underpriced. He keeps showing up with Michael Mayer, with Dalton Kincaid. But if we go to some rookie rankings, Sam Laporte is not going really until the third round of rookie drafts, even in tight end premium leagues. I know you've done a whole lot of uh, mock drafts and have been getting a lot of Laporta. Where have you been seeing him go in drafts? Too friggin' low. Yep. <laughs> Way too low. I'm seeing him going in the fourth round. This Oof. is a, he's gonna be a second, he's gonna be probably a top 50 NFL draft pick with like the athleticism we crave at the position. It, I don't get why, why people, I mean, this don't draft tight ends agenda is being placed like strictly on Laporta because. Nobody's got a problem drafting Kincaid or Meyer, but yeah. everyone's like, ah, fade rookie tight ends when it comes to Laporte. I don't really get it. Uh, I In my rankings, I got him 1A, 1B, 1C in the top three tight ends. I think Laporta is firmly in that tier with the top two. Uh, so like I said, I think purely from like ranking him as a prospect, I would have him ranked uh, just in like the second half 
of round two. Probably like he's in with like Marvin Mims, who's like could be a good wide. I don't see wide receiver one potential for Mims. Yeah, I see top five potential for Laporta. I, I think I'd rather Laporta than Mims. Uh, another guy like Zach Evans, who I love, and he's like at a position more likely to make an early impact. But I don't know if he's going to get the draft capital. Like, there's not a ton of these running backs. I would probably take Laporta over Hendon Hooker. Uh, you know, and he's starting to creep up into that like late second round range. He's certainly in the conversation with with Hooker. I think uh, he's, you know, won't be as impactful if Hooker hits. It'll be more impactful than Laporta because it's quarterback who can rush and super flex. But I mean, how many like day four running backs are we going to take over a guy like Laporta who's going to get drafted in the top fifty? You know, I was great producer in college, has the athleticism. Uh, what am I missing here? I don't know why he's falling to the This takes uh, 12 people doing him on. This is not just one or two. It takes 12 to, to let him fall to round four. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I, I, I'm I don't really get the top of my lungs. I don't really get it either. And, and we've actually seen some tight ends have some pretty solid success as rookies. And the ones who do have success as rookies are more expensive in their second year. So from this past season, Conquo, Dulcich, Jelani Woods, all more expensive. From 2021, Kyle Pitts and Pat Fryermuth both got more expensive. Uh, from 2019, Noah Fant, Dawson Knox, Irv Smith, TJ Hawkinson. Irv Smith only had 311 yards his rookie year, and he got more expensive going into his second year. 2018, Chris Herndon, Mark Andrews, and Dallas Goddard. I can go on. There are tight ends every year. You only need to put up around 400, 500 yards your rookie season in order to get a value boost to tight end. And a guy like Sam Laporta, I mean, I'm looking at where he's projected to go. Like you said, around 50, it looks like he's going early to mid second, probably as the fourth, maybe fifth tight end off the board, um, according to most mock drafts. But that puts him in an excellent range. Number 47 to Washington, number 48 to Detroit, number 51 to Miami, number 52 to Seattle. All number 54 to Los Angeles, number 55 to Detroit. All of these teams in the late 40s, early 50s need a tight end. And if he gets one of those landing spots, he's going to shoot up draft boards because he will walk in day one as their starter, playing 80 plus percent of the snaps, probably getting 60 targets as a rookie. And you don't want to miss out on this guy. Like you said, I, I mentioned earlier the advantage of having a tight end, how much easier it is to get into the top 12 at tight end, and also how much more valuable it is to get into the top six. If you compare that to a guy like Marvin Mims, a guy like Kayshawn Booty, where you know maybe they'll be a wide receiver three, maybe they'll have a 13-point-per-game season. A 13-point-per-game season just isn't that valuable at wide receiver when you're comparing it to a 13-point-per-game season at tight end. Just the, the value of a replacement is just different. So... I disagree with you on the hooker point just because, you know, like you alluded to the upside of a quarterback, especially a rushing quarterback, if hooker gets the draft capital, sure. But compared to some of those undersized beta wide receivers going in that range, I completely agree with you on Laporta. Yeah, I, I have him in this. I think you can argue either way uh, with Laporta hooker. We'll see exactly what kind of draft capital and, and landing spot hooker, because that's going to be a, a big influence on his value. Yeah, absolutely. But anywhere in the third, you can get Laporta anywhere in the third. You're smashing that pick. You're just taking him and you just, at that point, who cares if he's, a, you're allowed to take the rule, don't draft rookie tight ends. 
it does. It certainly does not apply to the third and fourth round. I'll tell you that. If you're taking it that far, that's the extremism I'm talking about that you need to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I do want to touch on about his game, um, he is a bad blocker. Uh, again, I don't think this really matters, uh, but basically any single number you could look at, he is pretty bad. Uh, his run blocking, he doesn't really get squared up and punch as you would want. He's not. He's actually an okay blocker in space. I think if he's in a run scheme that commands him to do some type of pulling, he'll be okay. I think he's okay blocking out on the perimeter, but he'll get bowled over by some of the bigger defensive ends, even some of the outside linebackers. Again, I don't really care. We want him running routes anyways. Um, he ran 300 routes on 322 pass snaps last year. So he had a 93 route participation. That's what we like seeing from a tight end. We do not want to see them block. And if they're bad at blocking uh, on running plays, whatever, who really cares? When I hear he's not a good blocker, uh, I perk up because I'm excited even more. You know who, you know who ran, who spent zero snaps pass blocking? Uh, last year, Mark Andrews. They, yep. they didn't ask him to pass block once. We don't want you to block. We want you to catch the ball. And you I mean, if, if you've ever owned George Kittle, and I assume most people have owned George Kittle, you know how frustrating it is that he's a really, really, really good blocker because there are a bunch of plays where George Kittle is forced to stay in line and block. So Mark Andrews last year had a 95% route participation rate. So again, that's the percentage of pass plays that he's on the field that he's running a route. Meanwhile, if you compare that to a guy like George Kittle, who's a good blocker, his route participation rate was on, is only 83% in his career. So that's an extra 50 to 80 snaps a year that he is not running a route, 20 to 25% target share. That's an extra 12 targets that he's not getting throughout the course of the season. And ultimately that matters. That's basically two points per game right there that he's not getting because he's staying in the block. Um, as a Pats fan, you know, Rob Gronkowski, one of the best do-it-all tight ends of all time, but even he was asked to block way more than some fantasy players would like, and Sam Laporte is not going to have that issue. So from an NFL perspective, I understand it might move him a little bit down draft boards. There's a reason that Darnell Washington might be drafted ahead of Laporta in the NFL draft. That's the same thing. Listen, Jalen Hyatt is going to go high in the NFL draft because he provides NFL teams with spacing. That's not value that applies to fantasy, and it's the same thing here. So moving into Darnell Washington, because Sam Laporta is often put on the same tier as a guy like Washington, the same tier as a guy like Musgrave, and if he goes behind those two guys, he might, in, in the NFL draft, he might go behind them in rookie drafts. So tell everyone why it would be a huge mistake to draft Washington or Musgrave ahead of Laporta. Well, we talk about just about the college dominator rating. Out of the top 40, top 40, and we're going deep to go 40 deep on tight ends. The top 40 current value tight ends in Dynasty. The only one with a dominator rating in college below 10%, Dawson Knox. Yep. Uh, red flag alert, uh, Darnell Washington, 83 percent dominator rating this is horrendous and he is a great blocker and everybody wants to use the excuse about brock bowers played with brock bowers uh well he was also outproduced by lad mcconkey marcus roseman jack saint and fifth year senior running back kenny mcintosh he had less receptions than them in any of his three years he never finished higher than fifth 
in receptions on his team. He's that Mercedes Lewis, a guy who will play. Mercedes Lewis is still playing in the NFL. <laughs> a guy who will play 10-plus seasons in the NFL and just block people's noses in all day long. Uh, maybe have a 10-touchdown season. If he's drafted in the first round, we looked at those hit rates. He From, from bean counter, he's going to have a top 12 season, Washington. Uh, it, it's almost guaranteed if he gets drafted in the first round. But he's that O.J. Howard, Mercedes Lewis. He's going to be a better NFL player than a guy who's going to ever command volume uh, in, a, in a receiving role. And, uh, and, speaking, and speaking to the Brock Bowers excuse, because it's an absolute ridiculous excuse. First of all, let me just say, good players get the ball thrown to them. It doesn't matter if there's other good players on the field. Yes, it might limit them slightly, but look at the Alabama receivers. All of them had good dominator ratings, even though they were all playing with each other. Look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave. All of them are top 12 since 2018 on my wide receiver model, even though they all played together. Good players get the ball. The other thing, Brock Bowers had an inline rate of only 30%. He only played tight end on 30% of the snaps. That means Darnell Washington technically had the opportunity on 70% of the snaps to go do something as a tight end. He wasn't getting thrown the ball. He's not a good receiver. Yes, I know he had that one really cool play after the catch, but the dude is too big. He's 6'7". He's built like a sixth, like a third tackle. Maybe he'll even play some swing tackle. I don't know. He's just not a good receiving tight end. Luke Musgrave is a guy who... I did some research on him. He's a little bit more interesting. He is in the mold of a guy like Laporta. He's a very good athlete. He was clocked at the fastest time at the Senior Bowl, above 20 miles an hour. Yet he only has, I think, 30 career receptions in college. A lot of that was due to the COVID-shortened season, and then he got injured this past season. But their numbers are not even close. They do not compare. He is a complete project. He is a guy who was almost guaranteed for his value to drop after his first season. Because he's such a project, I could see Luke Musgrave essentially be redshirted as a rookie in the NFL. That will not happen to Sam Laporta, who is ready to come in the NFL and make a difference immediately. And you talked about those wide receiver examples of uh, performing on the same team. I'll give you a tight end one. TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. 24% and 27% dominator on the same damn team. Yep. So if you're a good tight end, it, it shouldn't – there's no reason. We don't even need him to be second in receptions on the team. There's no reason for him not to be above an 8% dominator. The, le- the low level that that is is such a red flag of lack of production. Uh, another stat pull from Jax Falcone. Since Darnell Washington came to Georgia, there have been like 80, 89 passing touchdowns. He got three touchdown receptions. Three out of 89. This big, giant, supposed uh, red zone weapon. He got three freaking receiving touchdowns. He is a sixth offensive lineman. Sam Laporta is a slot wide receiver. You talk about Luke Musgrave. Uh, he's got that red flag as well because talk about dominator under 10%, only guy in the top four is Dawson Knox. Luke Musgrave, only 7.5%. I, he's got an ex- excuse like Darnell Washington because he got hurt after yeah, two games in his yeah. final season. But but that doesn't excuse his first three seasons where he wasn't able to top it either. Uh, so that's still a red flag regardless. But it did look like he was going to do that in his final season. So we do got to... Yeah, that's that's that. totally fair. And, and I'll have a different prospect preview on Musgrave. But it did look like he was breaking out in that, in that last season. He had 170 yards in his first two games before injuring his knee. But you're right. You know, he didn't do anything until those... 
or didn't do a whole lot until those two games that season. So uh, yeah, I would not compare him to a guy like Laporta. Um, to me, I completely agree uh, to an extent. So I, I have Mayer and Kincaid above Laporta, a tier above Laporta. Um, I rely on both stats and film. My, my stats have both those players uh, a tier above Laporta. Um, as well as my film analysis. However, I do agree with you. Laporta belongs as the third tight end in a tier of his own at this point. Um, there, You should not draft Washington or Musgrave over him, and he is a completely uh, valid pick in the uh, mid to late second, again, depending on that landing spot. And I mentioned some of the juicy ones like Miami, like Detroit, like Seattle earlier, uh, like the Chargers. You mentioned Gerald Everett. I was actually picturing Laporta in that offense. As a guy who has a lot of Gerald Everett, he left a lot of fantasy points on the field last year. Laporta could easily replicate what he did this year. So definitely a guy you don't want to miss out on um, in your rookie drafts. Uh, so before we sign off here, do you have any uh, last points on Laporta? <sighs> Draft the ever-living shit out of him. Yep. <laughs> I mean, he is just a guy. He, he's, he's everything we want. He's an athlete. He's going to be highly drafted, and he was productive in college. I mean – Beyond that, don't overthink it. Absolutely. So thanks so much for joining me. Uh, before we sign off, do you want to tell everyone, remind everyone where we can find some of your work? Yeah, follow me on Twitter and come jump in our uh, Discord on Patreon at patreon.com slash world. Yeah, definitely do it. As I mentioned before, a great way to support me and my podcast is to support my guests. It's how I continue to get some of these great guests on. So make sure to do that and follow David on Twitter uh, and check out his Patreon as well. This has been the prospect preview for San Laporta. Hopefully you will get straight and realize that you should be drafting him about a round earlier than where he is currently going in drafts. Make sure to do that. Get ahead of your teammates and keep listening into the Dynasty Zoltan podcast for more prospect previews to come. 